what's up? This is Christina of Lacuna Coil, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy, and horns up! Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. And we got a throwback episode happening this week as we look back at a classic metal album. As you know, Richie is kind of the uh, metal date savant of Focus on Metal, and for some reason, all these anniversaries of albums just seem to stick in his head. And this week is no exception as we are talking about the uh, 30th anniversary of Hurricane's Slave to the Thrill album. Now, it doesn't happen in May. It was really released on uh, July 23rd, 1990. But you know what? We're not waiting to run this audio until July. So anyways, Richie decided that this was uh, you know a good time to talk to some of the people. And he's been talking to uh, a few of the principals on and off on this. And so a few weeks ago, he was able to get on the horn with uh, Tony Cavazzo, who did uh, bass and some of the backing vocals on the album, and spent about 40 minutes or so with Tony with his remembrances of the album and all of that good stuff. But, uh, you know, sometimes when Richie gets going, that's just not enough. And of course, one of the other people that's on the album is our buddy Doug Aldrich, who dropped into Hurricane just in time to record this album. So Richie decided to reach out to Doug and see if he could fill out the other remaining 20 minutes or so talking with Doug about his memories of the album and coming into the band and all of that good stuff. So that is what we have in store for you this week is a big chunk of time with Tony Cavazzo talking about Slave to the Thrill, and then a follow-up one with uh, with our bud, Doug Aldrich. So that's what we're doing this week. It's a celebration of all things Hurricane Slave to the Thrill. And since we've got uh, quite a lot of audio to run, I'm going to shut the hell up, and I am going to turn it over to Richie and Tony Cavazzo. Hi, it's Richie here. Hi, Richie. How's it going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. I'm sure you're uh, just hanging in. You're hanging, hanging in. in there. Crap that's going on right now. Yeah, where, where are you? Where are you based now? We're, I'm in Marietta, California. Okay. You know, it, it's you know it's pretty rampant here, but not not as bad as the media's making it. I do know one guy that just got out of the hospital, and he they 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 told him he had bronchitis at first, and then all of a sudden he kept getting worse and worse and then he ended up back in the hospital and they told him that he did have the coronavirus and he said it's no joke i'm sure he survived it without getting on a ventilator and all that stuff but uh he was in the hospital for two weeks wow um he just just got home you know and he says he he did a, a live facebook thing so everybody can he can tell his story and i watched it he says it's, it's no joke I'm Be sure. Careful, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. Um, I'm just outside of Boston, on the east coast. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm originally from Ireland. Right, right, right. So I, I, I think the, the the accent you have, the Irish accent. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I want to talk to you mostly about uh, Slave to the Trill. Uh, that's thirty years okay. old. It's, it's thirty years old this year, if you can believe that. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> you know, it just seems like it hasn't been that long, but I guess it has. Yeah. So, what's your memory like at that time in general? Is it pretty good? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. We uh, what happened when when Robert Charzo left the band? We uh, recruited uh, Doug Aldrich, you know, who went on to do Dio and White Snake and all kinds of bands like that. And uh, I think he's in the Dead Daisies now. And uh, um, great guitar player, great guy. I just saw him not too long ago, and he's really a good guy. Mm. Fun to hang out with. Yeah. And uh, anyway, um, we were we went into pre-production and started writing songs and stuff like that. We already had some of them written and, uh, we got, uh, uh, the producer's name was Michael James Jackson. He did, uh, uh, kiss and he did, uh, uh, Alice Cooper. You know, he, he, he's noted for those bands, you know, working with them, producing a couple of their records. And, uh, um, we, uh, ended up uh, recording the album and went on tour with it. And then the whole thing just kind of dropped, you know, our, our record company went kind of belly up and the whole thing just kind of dropped. And we came home and we start, we talked about uh, starting a uh, work on a new record, but it never happened. You know, everybody started getting busy doing other things. And, you know, uh, Kelly Hansen got the opportunity to go with a foreigner and you can't blame him for doing that. Mm-hmm. It's a great gig, you know, and so the whole thing just kind of fell apart, you know. And mm. Tony, right now Hurricane, we're together. Me and Robert got back together and formed a new version of Hurricane, and we're getting ready to go into the studio. We were just getting ready to go in the studio and start recording before um, this coronavirus thing hit, and now that's all on hold. So the only thing we can do is just continue writing and and. Uh, you know, hope that this thing ends soon so we can get back to business, you know, everybody get back doing their gigs and everybody in that band is really busy as well. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, tough to get everybody together because it's like trying to line up the stars. You just, it's, everybody's busy. Everybody's got to make money. So Mm. especially now, you know, especially after all this is over and everybody gets back to work. Yeah, Tony, I want to I want to get into more in depth with all of that that you just said. So I, I want to go back to before you did Slave to the Trill. Um, you I believe you went out and you did a couple of tours with Striper. Um, right, right. Was that because they were on Enigma Records as well as you guys? Um, that's part part of it. That's part of what Enigma uh, wanted to push. They wanted to push us with them. And uh, the the two kinds of music uh, for both bands, the, the both kind of music was similar, and it was it wasn't like we were like some kind of death metal band, and and they were like you know the the uh, Christian band that they were, we you know we were kind of you know more pop metal like that, and and uh, um, we got along really good with those guys. Those guys were really cool. We you know we were, we were out the longest I went out with them was for nine months, and it was it was fun. We had a good time with those guys. What sort of um, venues, were, what size venues were you playing at that stage with them? Um, we were playing a lot of theaters, you know, and some some small arenas. Uh, depending on the city and how popular they were, uh, would, would determine the size of the venues that we were playing. No clubs. It was all theaters and, and small arenas. Uh, you know, nothing huge. No, no stadiums or nothing like that, but it, it was, you know, it was good sized places, like five, six thousand seaters, something like that. Did you get a chance, Tony, to uh, tour outside the U.S. at all on the first record on Over the Edge? 
Uh, yeah, we went to uh, Japan. I've never been to Europe. We never toured over in Europe, but uh, we did go to Japan a couple of times. Um, one with Slave to the Thrill and the other with uh, Over the Edge. And uh, um, we were gone for about two weeks each time. And we toured all over the country. We played about uh, probably about 12 shows during that time each time. And it was really a brutal schedule really brutal i've you know never experienced anything like that brutal before in my life i was tired and i was ready to get home after that yeah I've, I've spoken to a lot of musicians that have gone over to japan and they're famous for giving gifts to to the musicians do you remember anything in particular that they gave you yeah a lot of the fans would make drawings you know like like pencil drawings of of each guy in the band they'd give it to us and and i have this you know little uh little doll that was made of me, you know, a little stuff. I still have it, you know, a little doll, um, small. It's only about six inches tall. And uh, they put a little guitar on it. And it's really neat. It looks like the way I dressed back in those days and my hair and all that kind of stuff. It's really cool. I still have that thing. Hmm. You know, they give us little things, you know, little bags of sweets and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. T-shirts, you know, things like that. And I don't even know what the shirts say. And a lot of fan mail, all written in Japanese. And I don't even really, like, I can't read it, you know. But I, I still have a lot of that stuff, so. Yeah, Don Dawkin told me that uh, a fan gave him a Rolex and he had to hand it back. Oh, yeah. yeah. I never <laughs> got that big, but that's a crazy gift. <laughs> So, you know, over there, you know, everybody loves American music and and anything American. And you go over there, and they they really do treat you really well over there. You know, the American bands that go over there, they they love it, and they they treat you like royalty. You know, we stayed in the top notch hotels while we were there. We had, you know, uh, we had somebody that spoke Japanese that went everywhere we went. Um, she worked for the record company. Um, she was like our fearless leader, as we used to, put, to tell her, you know, mm-hmm. she would work everything for us. And everything was done to the second. Like I'd be in my hotel room and I'd, I'd have like the whole schedule of events that's going on for the for each day. And they say, we, you, we will knock at your door at 828 a.m. And exactly 828, somebody would knock on my door. It's all done by the minute. Wow. It's just crazy. It, wow. It's, it's, it's really regimental and it, it's, there's no, there, there's no uh, looseness about it. It's all tight, you know, tight schedule. Hmm. So let's, we were working a lot, you know, gigs, we're doing interviews and television shows and, and uh, we, we had to go in this big office one day and we had to sign thousands of these cards and it took us all day to sign these <laughs> cards. And I, that was brutal. That was hard. <laughs> My hands were killing me by the time I signed all this. And then you probably had to play that night. Yeah, yeah, we did. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, so... It was a lot of fun. I, I I have a lot of fond memories about it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Hmm. So there was two things bef- that happened before Slave to the Trail, and I, I want to tackle both of them. The first one, of course, is Robert leaving the band. Uh, what are your What are your recollections on why Robert left? Well, I think I think a lot of it. Robert was just uh, um, he wanted to do something different. I think, and, and he was like drifting apart from the rest of us, and 
we had we had to let him go. You know, he wanted to go, and we we just let him go. You know, he was just doing something different, and and he did release his own album after that, um, and it's a lot different than what Hurricane was doing at the time. And you know, we respect that. It was a hard hard uh, decision for us to make, but we we he wanted to go, and we let him go. You know, hmm. and how it, it was hard for. Us. How did the label react to you guys getting a new guitar player after, like, you did probably invest well, it in you for the first record? Yeah, fortunately, we got Doug Aldrich. If it, if it hadn't been for him, uh, it would have been uh, probably a lot harder for us. But, you know, Doug was a really pretty well-known guitar player even back then. And, and he, you know, he's a monster of a guitar player. And, uh, uh that really helped a lot. A lot of people like that version of the band. You know, a lot of people like the original version. A lot, you know, everybody likes original versions of any band. You know, they don't like to see people changing and all that kind of stuff. So it, it works two ways. You know, it, they like Doug, and but they also like Robert. You know, Robert's a monster guitar player, too. You know, he really is, you know. Yeah. Um, Tony, how did you find Doug? Like, who, who rec- did someone recommend him to you? Did you well, guys Doug- know him? called Lion, you know, with other friends of ours, and they were managed by the same people that that were managing us and uh, uh, at that time. And they suggested, why don't you try and get Doug? He's a great guitar player. He's very talented. And so we, you know, we talked to Doug, and he was interested. And uh, so he came, and we started writing with him, and it, it came together pretty quick. Uh, we all got along and it was, it was all good. You know, Doug's an easy guy to get along with. He's really mellow guy, you know, Mm, very nice. Who who else did you have on the list? Uh, did you audition anybody else? Yeah, we, we actually had my brother, Carlos, he came in and played and it, it sounded good, but it just wasn't, wasn't the right fit, you know? And he realized that he even told me, he goes, you know, Tony, this ain't the right fit for me, you know, cause quiet, right. was kind of in a, in a disarray at that point. And I think he was wanting to get away from that. And he came, we, we invited him to come down and work with us for a little while. And he came down for like three or four days. And finally he called me that night. He goes, you know, Tony, this ain't the right fit for me. And I I go, I, I get it, you know, and we, we all felt the same, you know, Kelly, Kelly thought the same. And, you know, we all did as, as talented as Carl says, you know, you got to have the right guy that's going to fit, you know, did, um, right direct, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a pretty tricky line that you got to go through to recruit new players in any band. You got to find the right guy, hmm. you know, the right personality, the right style, the right look, everything. You know. So when when Doug came in, did you jam on covers with him, or what was the audition like? Um. He came in and we just started playing hurricane songs. He he learned some of the hurricane songs. We started playing and we go, cool, you know. And then that's when we decided to uh, start writing new stuff and, and work on stuff that we'd already started with Doug. And, uh, you know, we were in pre-production with our producer, Michael James Jackson, at the time. We were there every almost every day at the, at the rehearsal studio working. And... Uh, you know, we were trying to get it ready to go, and finally we got it done and got in the studio and started recording. Hmm. Now, you had Bob Ezrin on the on the album before Slave to the Trill. Yeah. 
Did you want yeah. to? Did you guys want to work with him again, or did you ask for Michael James Jackson? Um, we wanted to. We liked Bob. We wanted to work with him, but I think he was kind of busy at the time, and we were on a time restraint. We had to get had to get everything done. You know, the, the record companies were expecting our record to be done at a certain time, and we had to. And they recommended uh, Michael James, and uh, we we met with him and talked to him and. You know, he was a good guy. We liked him, and, and we liked the direction he wanted to go. He had his own ideas, and he was brilliant. He really was. He was a brilliant producer. Did Was Bob the same as Michael, that he was involved as well in a lot of the pre-production? Yeah, he was down there when we were writing. He came down, and uh, uh, we had him down there for pre-production, but when we went in the actual recording studio, we had Mike Klink engineer it for us. And we worked with Mike Klink for a long time, you know, and Bob would pop his head in, you know, a couple of times a week just to see what, how things were going. And then when it came down to actually, you know, getting it out, you know, and you know, producing and mixing and mastering, Bob was there with Mike Klink and they were doing it together. And they came up with the, the album the way it is, as it sits today. Hmm. You know, Bob, Bob's a very innovative guy. You know, he really, you know, all the stuff that he did, you know. He, he came up with the idea for us to do 18, you know, uh, the Alice Cooper song. And we yeah. did that version of Slave to the Thrill. And, and he had the idea, with his idea, the way we played it. And we go, wow, that's cool. So we pl- we came up with that idea, and it worked out really good. Cause that's a pretty popular song, you know, for for the band. Every time we play, people love it. So mm. Now, Tony, what's the big difference between the way Michael produces and, and the way Bob Ezrin produces? Um. The big difference, I think that, that I think Bob's a little edgier, you know, more has a more of an edgier tone and edgier style. Mike is real polished and and real smooth and and really precise as far as everything sound wise. You know, I, there, there's you know, for me, there, I like the edginess. You know, I like I like the you know, you know, Robert said it said said it perfectly in an interview that he did he said when 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 slave to the thrill came out he felt that hurricane lost the edge that that we it was good but it wasn't as edgy as it was in the past and he's right about that it's too smooth too polished and uh as great as the records it is it's just it's not as edgy as the first two records that we did. Mm. It's interesting you bring that up because I've interviewed Doug and I asked him about this record. And he said that he was constantly butting heads with Michael about the guitar tone. Well, that- I wasn't there during the guitar, the guitar soloing, you know, and guitar parts. You know. mm. I wasn't there, you know, so I, I can't say for sure, but I can see that happening, you know, because Doug has his, has his, a, a, uh, very picky about what he's going to put out. He's not going to put out something that he's not completely 100% happy with. And, and I think that Mike was worried about um, us being able to get it done in a timely manner so that, you know, we don't, the, the funding won't go away so we can get it done right. You know, cause you know, Doug, Doug was taking a long time doing the stuff and I came in to do my bass tracks and I came in a lot more prepared. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I think at that time, Doug wasn't really sure what he was going to do yet. Hmm. And uh, um, I came in prepared and I got all my bass tracks in, in a day and a half. Wow. And Mike 
uh, Mike came up to me afterwards. He goes, Tony, you saved this freaking record. Wow. Meaning, meaning you know, I, w- I didn't take a lot of money or the, I didn't take away a lot of the funding to do it because we still had all the vocals and all that stuff to do. And uh, that made me feel really good that I came and prepared. And I'm glad I did. You know, I, I worked on my own at home and figured out what I wanted to do because I had all the all the rough tapes at home. And I, I figured out what I wanted to do with it. And I tried to keep it as simple as possible. You know, that's one thing that Bob Esmond taught me. He goes, simple's better. Simple is better. So you want to you keep it simple. You know, I, don't, I didn't want to try to do too much with it. I just kept it solid and simple. And uh, that, that, that worked. Tony, did, did you record your bass tracks at the same, with Jay, or did you do them all separate? No, we, we, I did scratch tracks with Jay. You know, and then and then after that, I came in and redid all the tracks on all the albums that we did. You know, we I did scratch tracks with them so that uh, we would have a, a basis with of where we're going with it. And then I came back and redid them all. Mm. So so you didn't really hang around that much then after you did your well, tracks. I, I'd pop my head in once while I'd see what was going on, but it, yeah, you know. It, it would get kind of boring after a while, you know, the same old guitar parts are trying to get it right or a vocal. And, and, and Kelly liked to be by himself with vocals. He didn't want us trying to tell him what to do. You know, he had his own ideas too. And uh, we let him have that range. He, he went for it. And the same with Doug. We let him have the range of what he wanted to do. We didn't want to tell him how to play or nothing like that. Hmm. Tony, how different? It was like that with everybody. Everybody had their own own way of doing it. We wanted to make it so that everybody can feel like they really contributed their part to it, a, a piece of themselves to it, basically. Okay. Tony, how, how different are the demos to the actual finished sounding record? Um, they're just rough sounding. You know, they're, they're, they're musically, they might be a little bit different, a little bit different parts here and there, and different vocals and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they're not the, the, the finished product by any means. They're, they're a little rough sounding and, you know, like four track sounding compared to, you know, a full production sounding. Okay. So the outside songwriters on this record, was that something you resisted or was it just a necessity to get it done? Um, it, it's something the record company wanted us to do. They, they found these songwriters and they found these songs and they wanted us to work with them and uh, see what we could, how we could change them to fit what we were doing. And we, we worked with them. We were, we were all gung-ho. We know most, most bands have song, songwriters these days. And, uh, and or any, even then they did. And uh, so we were no exception. We wanted to, to do what was the norm at the time. And and that's what we did. We listened to the songs. Oh, we can work with this. We can make this sound good. You know, we can make it sound like a hurricane song. And that's what we did. Mm. Did you want to write with the outside songwriters? Because I know there's a couple of songs on this that you didn't write at all. Well, yeah, there's a few that we didn't write at all. That They just sent us the, the tape and we listened to it and we kind of like changed it to fit our style. But there were a couple of songs that we did where the guys uh, get to one of the guitar player. Um, I can't remember his name, Frank, his name was Frank. I remember his first name was Frank, but anyway, he came in and, and, uh, um, worked with us. He played the guitar and we worked on a few songs with him. 
And uh, he he turned out to be. Uh, I went and saw Rod Stewart, and he was the guitar player in Rod Stewart's band. Nice. You know, so. So that that was really cool, you know, really really good guy. Mm. Let's spend a minute, Tony, talking about the album cover. Um, I when I bought this on vinyl, it it had no girl on it. Um, and we I, got a lot. Yeah, that. yeah. So, tell <laughs> t- tell me the story about that, the the genesis of it, okay, and, and well, why the label refused now, it. Yeah, the the album name was Slave to the Thrill, and we wanted to put something, you know. A little risque and and sexual, and maybe maybe it was a little over the top, but but the way I look at it, you know, most women, you know, they they have sex toys at home, and, and they won't admit it, but they do. They have sex toys, and and that ba- that machine was basically a glorified, you know, sex toy, and uh, and the girl on the on on it we put it on there and we knew that we were going to get a lot of slack and sure enough we did we got a lot of slack for it so the record company suggested why don't we just take the girl off and just put the machine on and we said uh we don't like it but i guess if that's what we got to do that's what we got to do so if you can find one an album with the girl on it that's a collectible there's there was wasn't that many of those made and uh that, that's how that goes we we, we just wanted to do something over the top and get people talking and it worked but you know it we got a lot of slack for it and a lot you, of bad bad press for it, but, <laughs> you know bad press is good press so did, did you think that the album was going to be released with that on and then you found out later on when you were on the road uh we thought it would we would be able to get away with it and we would just have to answer to it and it would remain that because there's a lot of other stuff that was out there at the time that was just as bad and they got away with it. We figured we'd be able to get away with it, but, but we weren't able to get away with it. So we had to change it. And the record company decided that. Hmm. So Tony, do you have any memories of recording the videos for that album? I, I know, um, was it next to you was one of them? Yeah. yeah Le- next to you and, uh, dance little sister. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, you know, they were they were you know typical video shoots, you know I remember on the next view we had the floor all wet it was a black floor, and uh, it was wet with uh, water about maybe a half inch deep just to give it a shine, and uh, so that was hard because your feet were wet the whole time, <laughs> you know if you didn't wear the right kind of shoes, and you know we didn't want to wear like rain boots or nothing like that we had to wear rock shoes so we had we, we tried to get the water down a little bit and they kept you know wetting it just to keep it shiny and uh and that, that was pretty pretty tough we did that in a full day it took us about you know a good 18 20 hours to do that video and the same thing with dance little sister it was that was a little you know in a more smaller little studio that we did that one but uh you know, they were both about 18 to 20 hour shoots and we had to be there early in the morning and, you know, had a wardrobe lady there. And it, it was, it was cool. It was fun. What? The hardest video we did was the very first one, hurricane. That was a tough video to do because that took a long, long time. And, uh, we were in a old abandoned iron foundry and, uh, uh, you know, we had all these wind machines blowing, all that black dust was just blowing everywhere. Everybody had like particle masks on except for the band. We were the only ones that did. But I, I, I 
just, I was pulling that black crap out of my ears and out of my every orifice in my body. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, how much are we talking now for a Next To You video? What was the budget on that? I can't even really remember that. I, I, it, it was was a big budget because, you know, at that point, I think that uh, the record company was starting to have uh, financial issues, and uh, we we had to really, you know, cut corners on a lot of things, you know. So that's why it wasn't. If you watch the video, it was just pretty much the, us in that warehouse with the water and maybe a couple of columns or something next to us. And it wasn't anything spectacular, no like acting or nothing like that in it. Huh. And, uh, so it, it I, I, and it's the same thing with dance little sister. It was just, a, you know, I think we had that rope mesh looking stuff and, and, you know, we were just kind of moving around and around that stuff and it was just lighting and wasn't anything spectacular. So I think that the budget wasn't really that high. What song did you want as the first single from the record? On Slave to the Thrill. I liked Reign of Love. I thought that was a good song. Yeah, the opener. Yeah, they, they, they wanted to do uh, Next You, which, you know, I it was a good song. But it was I liked Reign of Love much better. Mm. And uh, 10,000 Years was a good song. It, it's it's a heavy song, but I, I don't know if that's more of an album cut, I think. But I like the song. It, it's it's a pretty heavy song. That's got, um, yeah. that's got a co-write from Robert on it. Was that the only old idea yeah, that was he, brought over? I did write on that record with us. You know, he co-wrote a lot of the parts on that record. Okay. Uh, so, Tony, who did you go out on the road with when Slave to the Trail came out? On that particular album, we went out uh, on our own. We went out, we were doing clubs, we were doing small theaters. Um, we didn't really have a, a headliner. We were headlining at that time, um, just doing the clubs, just club scene, the big club scene. Um, and you know, it, you know, it, it was, it was fun. You know, we did some good stuff. We, every now and then we'd hook up with a, you know, a bigger band. We did go out with uh, Gary Moore for a little while. And then we went out with a uh, MSG, Mike Schinker, his group. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, we did, had a good time with those guys. This is Michael Schenker from Scorpions here of all MSG and Temple of Rock. You're listening to Focus on Metal. That's, um, you know, that's Robin McCauley as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Gary Moore was fabulous, man. That was a fun part of the tour because, you know, he was cool and I watch him play every day. He was so fucking awesome, that guy. I'm sure, um, I'm sure Doug was watching him as well. Oh, yeah. Well, this was Robert, actually. Oh, wait oh. a minute. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We, yeah. I think it was Robert that was with, when we Gary Moore. Maybe it was. Okay. Oh, so that yeah, was, I think it, I think it wasn't Doug. It was Robert. Yeah, that's um, Gary would have been touring Wild Frontier then, that record. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, for the most part, Hurricane on Slave the Thrill, we went out on our own. You know, we were just uh, headlining uh, clubs and small theaters and stuff like that. Now and we're we're doing pretty well with it. I believe when you were on the tour, the label went bankrupt. Is that true? Yes, it did. It, they went bankrupt. They went belly up. And we were in Florida at the time. And we got a phone call from uh, our management saying, uh, you know, the tour, the rest of the tour is going to be canceled. Um, we only had like three dates left. And so we had to fly home. We just flew home right after that last show. We flew home. 
and uh, that was it for that record company. Mm. So, what did you think had happened to the band after that? Did you think it'd be easy to get picked up by another label? Everyone would stay. Yeah, we tried. We tried to get picked up by another label, but we couldn't really get any interest in it. And you know, you know, I, I thought it would be a little easier than what it was. And uh, you know, with my songwriting, with my songwriter would bang your head. You know, I, you know, I could have written another song that might have done that well. Who knows? You know, mm. and uh, um, they did. Nobody wanted to touch us. I don't know why. How did just, how, how did you guys feel, Tony, about Doug going off and doing the House of Lords record? Um, we knew at that point that he was going to move on, and, and you know, and that was cool. We we started working with another guitar player and really good guitar player, Sean. His name was Sean. Um, really good guy from uh, I guess he was an English guy. Really good player, and that's when uh you know everybody started getting other opportunities um you know that's when uh, kelly started uh you know he went and auditioned for foreigner he got that gig and i at that point in my life i was uh i was i was done i was tired i was beat and i i, I actually retired for about 10 years you know and then i came when i came i moved to memphis tennessee to be with my kids and raise them and then uh you know, after about 10 years, I decided to come back to California and, and all my friends, music, musician buddies, and they all knew I was coming back. And I, I just crossed into California and everybody was calling me, hey, let's get together and practice. Let's get together and jam. Let's write some <laughs> songs. You know? Okay, so I did. I got right back into it as soon as I got back into California. But I retired for 10 years. I mean, I dabbled with the musicians a little bit in, in Memphis when I lived there. And, uh, but you know, it's it's a whole different scene. You know, it's more blues oriented, and and there there's one heavy metal band that I played with, and it we played like a couple of shows, and that was it. You know, it didn't really go anywhere. Mm. But, I, I didn't want to waste time too much with it. Yeah, Tony, was there any anything professionally recorded from the Slave to the Trill tour that hasn't been released? Uh, yeah, actually, there there is one song that we, we we started to record and actually I'm going to try and fit, redo the song refit the song for a new Hurricane album um, it's called uh, The Hard Road that's what it was called back then but I'm going to change the title and change it around a little bit and uh, update it more and uh, and I'm, I'm the uh, you know the title is probably going to be Hands of Souls that's what I'm going to call it, I think. That's my working title for it right now. And, uh, you know, it's going to be basically about everybody, you know, anybody can relate to it. First, people that were raised by people, um, whether it be good or bad, um, they were touched by the hands of souls, and those people are gone right now. They're no longer with us. And uh, it, it's kind of a heavy thought, and I'm, I'm still working on that. Uh you know, when we get into pre-production for the new album, you know, I'm going to introduce it to the band. And I've already kind of talked to Robert about it, and he likes the idea. So uh, we'll go from there. Hmm. What about any live shows on that tour? Were they recorded at all? Uh, yeah, actually, um, we did do a couple of live shows with the current lineup, you know, with Chad Consino on vocals and Mike Hansen on drums. Hmm. And uh, there, there's some live stuff out there of us playing. 
um, you can go to the Rainbow Bash that we just did uh, last uh, September. It was the rain. We did a thing called the Rainbow Bashes or some backyard rainbow party, and we were playing there. We played there with a uh, Adler's Appetite, um, and it, it, it was a good show for us. We had a lot of people there, and we've done other things since then too. You know, we uh, just played a show in uh, Denver before all this coronavirus stuff hit. Mm-hmm. And we did a show at the Whiskey. Uh, we did a show at the Whiskey right before we went to Denver. So we were just kind of starting to get things going again. And then all of a sudden, you know, coronavirus hits and everybody's on hold now. So we were going to do a show uh, in uh, uh, Baltimore, near Baltimore. Um, it was called the Ballroom Blitz. We were supposed to do that show would last in line. And uh, uh, that got postponed. So we already had our plane tickets and we were ready to go. And all of a sudden we get called while the show's being postponed. So we had to call the airlines and they, they're going to give us a credit for the airline tickets. So at, for a future date, we just got to wait for them to tell us when the date's going to be. And it'll, it'll be rescheduled. Mm. Tony, are you still on good terms with Kelly and Jay? Uh, I talked to Jay once in a while. I haven't spoken with Kelly because I don't have any way of getting a hold of him, but I did run into him at the NAM show. Um, and, uh, it was nice to see him. We hung out, we talked for a few minutes and he was busy, you know, I was busy and, and we were trying to do our thing, you know, and it was, it, it was like, you know, I saw him yesterday. It was like n- nothing changed. You know, it was, it was crazy. Hmm. So looking back on the slave to the trail record in general, do, do you still think it's too polished or is your, has your opinion changed no, on it at all over the years? Not by today's standards. I, I think it's, it's actually, you know, it's a good sounding record. You know, I, for the longest time, I wouldn't even listen to it. Wow. I, I would, uh, yeah, I, I didn't listen to any hurricane stuff for like 20 years because I was kind of disenchanted with it. You know, I was kind of disappointed and I felt like, you know, the whole thing was a failure. Believe me, I felt like it was a failure. Then I listened to all the stuff again after about 20 years and I go, wow, you know, this stuff is was really good and, and a lot of the fans are still out there and they still listen to it and I, every now and then you know uh, people are posting some of the, our songs on Facebook and stuff like that and and uh, you know that make, that makes me feel good you know it gives me a new lease on life with Hurricane and then you know I, I reconnected with Robert after 25 years and uh, decided that we were going to get together and write just like we did in the beginning and we have and uh, we put a, a new lineup together and you know, right now we're just playing shows from the old stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, at, at some point we're going to be adding new songs. Actually, the last show we did, we did add two new songs. Nice. So, uh, nice. Uh, that, that's going to be cool. You know, one's called Behind Your Shadow, and the other one is called uh, the song that Robert wrote. Uh, it's called uh, Don't Change Your Love. Okay. So. When do you think the new record is going to come out? You don't have a timeline now, of course. Do you think it's going to be this no, year? No, no. We were supposed to. We, you know, the rec- We haven't even signed our record deal yet. That's all on hold. We we got an offer from uh, from a record company, and uh, the, the the contract was a little bit one sided. So we had our manager Paul Gargano. Um, he's negotiating. I don't know if that's all on hold or what, but he's going to get it better. We're going to sign a deal with them, probably more than likely. And, uh, you know, 
get in the studio. They 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 wanted to give us ninety days to to get in there, and we we we're not we can't do it in ninety days. There's no way, you know. Mm. We we need at least, we need at least five months, four to five months, you know, to to write and get in the studio and record and give them the finished product. They wanted to have it ready by by July at that point, but all that's changed now. Everything's kind of pushed back, and it probably won't be ready if, if at all this year. Okay. Unless this whole thing stops and everybody gets back to business. When that happens, that's when the, the door's going to open and, and we're going to get in the studio and start recording. Well, you know what they're all saying now, Tony, with the musicians staying at home, they have loads of time to write music. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> Pro Tools going again. I tried to hook it all up, and I was ready to write some stuff, and it's not working right now for me. So I gotta, I, I'm gonna have to probably re-install uh, re, uh, the the CD and just start all over with it. Hmm. Fortunately, I got all my music that I've written on there on my phone, so I can rewrite some of that stuff and uh, you know make it better. Actually, so you know, I may do that. Leave it alone and just start rescue stuff. You know? Do 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 the four of you guys all live near each other, or are you geographically far Not apart? Really, I live about an hour and a half from Robert, and uh, and I live about an hour away from Chad. And Mike Hansen, he lives in Chicago right now. He moved back to uh, uh, spend time with his ailing father. You know, his dad mm. is not doing well, so he went back there to spend time with him. And uh, you know, it's good for him. He he needs to do that, and his dad needs him right now. So, mm. so Tony, before I, don't I li- know if may not, I don't know. Yeah. So, Tony, before I leave you go, do you want to give out all the the band websites and all that stuff so people can get in touch with you? Yeah, there is a our, our website is called Hurricane. Um, I think it's called HurricaneTheBand dot com. Um, I've never been on it, uh, but uh, you know that's called Hurricane the Band. It just got made. It's not. It's not anything that's been out for a while. We're still working on. We may end up getting a, a different one. Um, Robert gave me the the website, and I can't remember what it's called. Hurricane Rock '80s Rock Band or something like that. Okay. Just put in Hurricane Band, and something will come up. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'll, I'll send it to you if you want the the links. Yeah, send me the link, and then when I post, when this gets posted, then we can put the links in with the show notes. Okay, yeah, I can do that. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you today. Yeah. All right, Tony. Well, I'm going to leave you go. So have a thanks okay, for okay, Richie. Thanks for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, man. Anytime, my brother. You take care of yourself. Stay mm-hmm. safe. I'll try. All right, Tony. Take care. Okay. okay. Bye. All right. All right. Bye. Hey guys, this is Doug Aldrich from Burning Rain and White Snake, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. All right. Like I said up front, lots of stuff this week, lots of audio, lots of good discussion. So why don't we move right on to Doug Aldrich talking about his memories of Hurricane Slave to the Thrill, getting in the band, all that good stuff. And at the tail end of the discussion with Doug, we'll also get into a little bit on the brand new Dead Daisies album. Because, you know, why not? We got Doug on. Let's get the scoop, right? And definitely this is one of these COVID-19 
quarantine at home kind of interviews right here. I'm sure we're going to hear more and more of this as well because, you know, you hear Doug's kids playing in the background. You hear birds. You hear dogs. You hear all this stuff. So, you know, people are, are hunkering down. They're at home and they're doing interviews wherever they can. So this is definitely one of those ones, probably the first one on the show since all this happened where this is uh, this is all uh, real stuff happening as people, like I said, hunkered down, staying home, being in quarantine, but still trying to get the word out and uh, be social while they're distanced. So why don't I turn it over to Richie and our buddy, Mr. Goldtop, Doug Aldrich. Hey, buddy. Hey, Doug. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. How's, uh, how's quarantine suiting you? Um, it is. It's, it's okay. I mean, it could be worse. I can't complain. So were you actually still in a band before you got the gig with Hurricane, or were you looking for auditioning for someone else? I, w- I had been in, right, at, right before that, I was in a band called Lion with Cal Swan and um, Mark Edwards and Jerry Best. And the band broke up basically because Mark got injured in a motorcycle accident. And I had kind of blown off a lot of bands, a lot of offers and different things that were presented because I really wanted that band to make it. But then once it did break up, the management company also handled Hurricane. They said, hey, you know, they're looking for a guitar player. And I thought, I'll check it out. And, And I really liked it. You know, I like the guys a lot, and so I was technically not in a band when I went down there, but uh, it was right after, right after Lion. So yeah, you hadn't auditioned for anyone else. Hurricane were the first band. Yeah, and I don't even know if I auditioned. It was weird. I, I don't, I don't even remember auditioning. I just remember us starting to work. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I auditioned. I don't, I don't know. Well, Tony, when I, I sp- when I spoke to Tony Cavazzo, he said that you came in and you you played some old Hurricane songs to see whether you gel first. Maybe I, I just I don't even remember. It's so long ago. When I, I'll, all I remember was is that they were they were set up in a rehearsal studio. I went I went down and they said, you know, we've got a couple of song ideas, but we need to write a record. So maybe we did. I don't remember if I went down and auditioned and then I just stayed. <laughs> what happened? But it seemed like immediately I was in the band and and then we we got to work. You know. Yeah. Did um Did you know any of the guys in the band before then? Mm, no, I did. No, I didn't know them. Okay. Um. Were Were you aware that Carlos Cavazo had tried to play with them before you? No. I. Maybe. Maybe I. Maybe I remember them talking about that, but I didn't know that, no. Okay. And was Michael James Jackson there when you started writing the songs? I think so. Okay. I think I think he was, yeah. I okay. Think he was already involved. And how heavily involved were you in writing the songs on the record or were a lot of them already written? No, there was only there were they only had a couple of songs that were um that were written. One um there was a song Young man, I think it was. Let me look on the um, let me look on the uh, Spotify. Mm, I have it in front of me, Doug. I have the CD in front of me. Young man is is on a chair. Yeah, young man was one that they had that, uh, that I fixed. Uh, I just changed a couple of guitar parts here. If I didn't really do any writing on it, but I did. I did the a majority of the music. Um, Anyway, tell me the titles. I'll tell you each one. Young man, I I just worked right. on the right. Song song one is Rain of Love. Rain of Love. I was my music. That okay. Kelly wrote 
Okay, N- next to you, I think, is Outside Songwriters. Outside Songwriters, but we, we definitely beast it up. Yeah, Young Man is, yeah, Dance Little yeah, Sister. Young, young Man was, uh, was those guys without me. Okay, Dance Little Sister? That's my music. Okay, Don't Want to Dream? That was a co-write between all of us and uh, an outside songwriter. Yeah, um, Temptation. That was, that was, I think we all got credit on it, but I think that was mostly um, Kelly. Okay, I love that song. Um, yeah. 10,000 Years. That was mostly Jay. Okay. We all helped him out. Okay, Let It Slide. That was mine. Okay. Uh, mine and Kelly, sorry. I didn't write any lyrics. It was me and Ke- Kelly was always involved. Yeah, Lock Me Up. Lock Me Up was mine. Music. Okay, and Smiles Like a Child is outside songwriters. Yeah, that was that was already existing when I got in the band. Yeah, D- did you have enough songs written yourselves to fill the record without having outside songwriters? Well, no, they... They we basically they had like I said they had I think four, and smiles like a child was definitely one of those. They had one other song called Road to Nowhere, which we didn't end up cutting. I I wasn't really a fan of it, anyways. But um, I think basically what happened is is Michael James Jackson was in charge of saying which songs made the record or not, and we we probably we could have filled those things, but definitely they wanted to. It was like a big thing that was going around where people were working with outside songwriters and they really liked Next to You and wanted us to make that happen. Mm. How, so, did you, how did you feel about it, having doing songs written by other people? Because you really hadn't done it up to that point, had you? Um, only once. I think with Lion, we, Cal Swan and I wrote with somebody. But um, I, I, it didn't bother me too much, but I would have preferred that we wrote them ourselves. Mm. Just because I was really a stubborn kid at that time, I didn't, I didn't, I just wanted to play and sound like what I thought I wanted, and um, I didn't, you know, I would have preferred next to you was a challenge to make it, to make it for me to make it cool, uh, to livable. It took me a while to get uh, to get a guitar part that kept the integrity of the song, but that I could live with because it was very. It's very, very melodic. Mm. Now, w- when I spoke to you before, Doug, we talked. You talked that about you had you butted heads with Michael James Jackson about the tone of the guitars on this. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, did he just want a more commercial, radio-friendly sound, and you didn't? I think he. I don't know if it was the, the, the goal. Everyone's goal was to get on the radio, but I mean, there were bands that were a little bit heavier on the radio bands like Motley Crue and Rat and then bands from you know Britain and Germany Scorpions and stuff so I felt I just felt like we butted heads because he he just he he really wanted to just do things his way and I wanted to do things my way Mm. but in the end I don't know if I told you this last time but I ran into him recently like I think it was a year or two ago and I saw him and I said, hey, I just, you know, I, I just want to apologize for if I was a jerk when I was a, back then because, you know, I I was really stubborn. And he goes, you know, you were really stubborn, but I really love your playing. 
So it was cool. But I, I, you know, as a kid, when you're a kid and you, and you, you know, I came up on really on the, on the streets, you know, that's how I, I got into the business. It wasn't by, um, you know, parents helping me or by, you know, going to school. And I mean, I really came up on this, on the LA scene by myself and I just wasn't used to direction. You know, I was naive, not used to that. Mm. Now I realize there's always something good to be learned off of anybody. Doug, did you know beforehand going into the studio that there might be an issue with you and Michael when it came to the guitar tone? Because Tony told me that Michael was involved in the pre-production and working up the songs and all that. So was it a surprise to you when you went in and you started playing that he said, no, I wanted to sound different? Uh, yeah, it was. Okay. So the, it was a surprise to me. So, so I, he basically had all kinds of ideas that he wanted to want him to try, and some of them were cool, and some of them weren't. Did, do you remember any of the other guys butting heads with him in the studio, making the record? No, just you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and did did the guys in the band say anything to you? Like you know, can you t- calm down or something like that? We need to get the record done, or is there any of that? Uh, I don't. Not really. I don't remember. Okay. You know, maybe somebody else's memory would be better than mine. But I don't know what did, what did Tony say. Yeah, uh, he well, he he said he did his bass parts in a day and a half and left. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he's being politically correct. I don't know, but he 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 he, he did say that he can imagine you butting heads with Michael at that time. Yeah. Well, we did. We definitely did. Yeah. It was what I would consider my least comfortable time in the studio. Wow. Okay. Um, was was it from the beginning to the very end, or was there a part in the middle where you just shook hands and everything was okay, or or, or what? Uh, no, start to finish. It was, we butted heads. We butted heads in rehearsal, in pre-production rehearsals. We butted heads in the studio. He, he really wanted to do a lot of layering, sounds, and and things like that and i i didn't want to i wanted it to be more raw and i think that what we ended up with was a compromise of that mm. and a, and a good a good compromise you know cuz it i could pull it off live mm. it, I, it, it was um you know I, he, he wasn't worried about live he was worried about making a record that covered everything that he wanted and i was wanting to be able to play it live and cover it, you know, yeah. it's important to me. That. So, so, but yeah, we, we, we butted heads even in during the mix. I mean, the mix, <laughs> he, he, he got, he got Chris Lord Algie, who's the guy who was mixing it. And Chris is a friend of mine now. He's, he's you know, really nice guy and he's super cool. But at the time I didn't, I didn't know who he was. He was just kind of famous as a mixer. And Michael said, you know, we're going to get this guy. It's great for us. And he sees it. You know, it was amazing. And, Kind of like that it was going to get us on the radio faster because of the way that he mixed. But I came back and they and he said, "Look, the thing is, is that I don't want anybody from the band to be at the mixes because um, it's just too much distraction and it's too too many chefs in the kitchen." So we agreed that Kelly would would basically go and kind of like check up on stuff just to see how it was, and and that's what the deal was. And when I heard the first mix, I can't remember 
what song it was, but I heard I heard a mix, and I was just I I called the management and said I'm I gotta go fix this, this, this the guitars. It's just I can't live with it. It's just not happening. And what it was was that some of the solos he was putting um, he was putting this chorus sound on the solos, and it just made it sound even lighter and and just less guitar-y, you know, it just sounded more like a synthesizer almost. Uh. Just a touch of that. And I just said, look, he's got this, I didn't even know what it was, I guess, back then. I just said he's got this modulation for chorus. I said, I think that's a chorus. He's got this chorus on my solo and I hate it. It's just like, you know, so they let me go up there and, and speak with him and he took that, he took that well and removed the chorus. And I said, don't put it on any solos. Can try some other stuff, but don't put that sound on on my guitar solos. Hmm. D- Doug, I just got a couple of minutes left. Why didn't you just walk if it was that if it was that miserable an experience for you? Because surely you had other <laughs> sure, surely you had other bands out there that were looking for guitar players. I yeah maybe, but you know I'm I was I still was trying to be loyal to what I had. I had actually an offer to walk, and a couple times and I just, you know, I had committed to it. We were, we were spending money. We were, we were on, we were on a band salary. And, you know, if you, if you're in the studio and at that time, the budgets for records were pretty high. Um, so if you were to walk, you could throw a wrench in the works. It could, maybe the band might not recover from. And I was excited about the songs that, that we had, you know I mean? I thought it was really cool. And I, I, I thought this was a band that had a good enough foundation where if we put out a great record, we could really do well with it. And uh, I think in the end, it did pretty well. And people certainly have come up to me a lot and said they they really liked the record. Over the years, people really loved that record. But um, I'm just not a person to just quit, you know? That's even, you know, the the worst part was when uh, I had, done us i had done some sessions i just finished the record we had just shot a couple videos and i think the budget on one on the next view video was like seventy five thousand dollars which is just insane right mm. for, i mean that, that was small for then <laughs> now that's just like that's just insane so I, then i i was we were we were off and not doing anything and i played on some demos for house of lords and then ended up doing their record and they said, "Hey, you should you should quit that band, you know, and join us." And I, and I really liked the record that we did. I mean, I was working with Andy Johns, who was a producer who I really loved. I loved working with Andy. I had a great time in the studio with him. I had a great time. Um, I didn't. I don't think I wrote anything on that album. I just, it was just a session, but I had a blast. And they could tell that I we were. It was really a different vibe than Hurricane for me. And um. They said you should join. I said, you know, I would have, I would have joined you guys before, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to leave these guys. Like, we just shot a video, we just stole this stuff. It's just not possible. I even had Gene Simmons call me and try and say, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to do really well with this record, which they did. But I just, you know, not, I, I didn't want to quit. So, Doug, you didn't even know when you were doing House of Lords that the record label was Enigma was in trouble. Oh no, I had no idea. I, I. I really didn't have any contact with anybody at Enigma except for the promotion girl. Uh, so I didn't know anything about Enigma. Because oh, I, I believe you're on the road and the shit hit the fan. 
really. Yeah, something. I, I don't remember what happened. Did they get bought bought out by Capital or something? I don't even know. But um, yeah, I do remember that when we were on the road, the, the label um, pulled something, and which ultimately led to me not. That's when I when when we were done working. There was no more touring. There was no tour support. That's right. That's when the label had to pay to get a band on the road. And so we weren't going to be touring anymore. And the guy said, hey, let's go in and make a new record. And I had done a couple sessions. The House of Lords was one. But the, the next one was me going back and working with Cal Swan for Bad New Rising. Oh. And I was involved in that. From, so we did the record. And we had a um, you know a decent budget to make the record. And we were working with a producer called Mac. And I think, you know, it's, I just was like, I'm really digging. I love Cal Swan. I really love that first Bad Moon Rising record. And I was co-wrote the majority of the stuff with Cal. And I just did not want to go back through that process of being in the studio with Michael James Jackson or, or anybody at that point. Oh, oh. So, so, so that's when I, that's when I walked. Yeah. So, so Doug, before I leave you go, um, What's different about this Dead Daisies record than the last one, other than the fact that you have Glenn? Is does it sound completely different, or or what can you tell um, me about it? It's it's um, I, I would say that it sounds like what you would think. It's it's got a flair of the Dead Daisies with me and David and and Dean, but definitely Glenn's bass playing is different than Marco's, and the singing is obviously different. But it's just good songs, you know. I mean, it's it's I think. Um, I think it's, you know, obviously we. I felt sad to see those guys not be involved, but I'm really excited about Glenn, and it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be really cool when people get to hear the album. I just hope you can tour it, Doug. That's all. <laughs> I hope so too. I, I mean, obviously it's not gonna happen this year, and unless you know, there's a couple of things that might have to happen for it to, to work out, but. Um, it wouldn't be until the end of the year, if at all. But hopefully next year we can get back to, uh, I think the smaller bands, um, or bands that are in the mid- mid- medium range, clubs or theaters, can probably get back to work a little sooner than than the bigger arena-type bands, uh, I'm guessing. You know, So we'll see what happens. But we, got, we feel really strongly about the record, and I think people are going to like it a lot. Mm. So what are you doing now? Are you playing guitar at home much? Are you writing music or is it just all family? Um, I Originally, you know, I was playing guitar and taking, you know, t- trying to keep the family safe. But then we decided, you know, once the touring thing got canceled and pushed back and all that, we decided to start doing a little bit more writing. Um, so that's what, that's what we've been doing. Nice. We're, we're doing some social media stuff and a little bit of promo here and there. We just uh, we put out a... It wasn't. It wasn't going to be a single, but it turned out being a first song off the record called a song called "Unspoken." Uh-huh. You could check it out if you get a chance on YouTube. Did you hear that song? Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Love it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's so it's on. It's out on YouTube, and and our thought is now is to maybe give a few more teasers on on the record and hold the record back a little bit till we can properly promote it. Nice. But, of course that. I don't have much say in that. I can just kind of give the idea and see what happens with the you know, management, if they, however they decided to do it. Mm. Well, well, Doug, thanks for giving me some, 
some of your time. I know you. I can hear the family in the background behind you. So uh, <laughs> I'm really sorry about that, bro. No, I, no, it's I, cool. You do, listen. You're doing me a favor doing this. Anyway, so yeah, it, it was. Uh, well, I'll just tell you a couple more little tidbits about Hurricane. Yeah, sure. It was funny. Was that we played? We we rehearsed really hard and got super tight. And I had a blast playing with those guys live. There was just one thing. Periodically, me and uh, Kelly would kind of get into it. We'd kind of, you know, I don't know what it was. It wasn't anything about music, but there was one time in particular that we actually, you know, started throwing fists. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was just um, a situation where we were on the road together. We were rooming. Me and I think it was me and Jay that would room together, and Tony and and Kelly would room together. You know, we were kids, but um, Kelly and I, a couple times, it was just like we'd be wrestling on the floor on the bus, and the bus driver would slam on the brakes and say, "You guys take that off the bus." And then the other this other time, we fought at a restaurant. We were waiting for a cab to um, to pick us up, and we got into it, and he ended up. Smack, you know, punching me in the head, grabbing a bunch of hair, throwing me, and I ended up coming back and um, punching him in the throat, <laughs> right in the front of the throat. And that night, he sang his ass off. I mean, I could have really. I mean, I these crazy things when you're when you're younger, but um, he he was he was and is the most one of the most indestructible singers I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I, I, I can't, Doug, I can't. When I listened to the Hurricane record, I couldn't put him in Foreigner the way he sang on those. But I've seen him with Foreigner and he is absolutely superb. I know. I know. In fact, I remember when Mick's brother, they had they had um, somebody else in Foreigner for a little while. So he, his brother, Kevin, was, was tour managing for Whitesnake. And he was, we were walking, he goes, do you, do you know any singers that, and he goes, there's a guy that they're thinking about. I don't know if you think about him. And he said, Kelly Hansen. I go, well, you know what? Kelly has a thing where he can he, he actually can change his voice a little bit. He's done some stuff where he was just joking around. He sounds like Michael McDonald. He was joking around. He sounded like Steven Tyler. And then he's got his own thing. And I said, I don't know if he could do that gig, but he's a great singer. And they got him and they kept him and he's he's resurrected that band, you know, into a really awesome live band. When's the last time you met him? Kelly? Yeah. Um, I saw him about a year and a half or two years ago in a restaurant. He was with his manager. Okay, you didn't start throwing punches, Doug, did you? No, we're beyond that. He was... (laughs) Yeah, we... You know, there was a long time that we had... um, You know, we, we... we, when we broke up, those guys were pissed. They were brothers, you know. Those those three guys were brothers, and and I just well, didn't feel that way, you know. And and my brother was Cal. That's who I came up with, on this, you know, in in L.A. So it just was it was just messy, you know. And and it took a long time for me to to want to even see Kelly. But I just I just didn't we just didn't get along. Uh-huh. But I saw him. I saw him. He, he came to. Uh, a show, a White Snake show, and he had just gotten a gig in Foreigner. I think it was like 2004, and that was maybe the first time I had seen him for a while. And um, we were we, we were both very 
we're cautiously respectful. Okay. <laughs> nice. And then I, David, David Coverdale and I went and saw Foreigner play. We were writing a record. We were writing um, a good to be bad record. We went to see them in, um, they were playing with Sammy Hagar in Reno, Nevada, or in, uh, I'm sorry, Lake Tahoe. And David and I went and he was talking to Mick and I, and I go, I, I went, I gotta go find Kelly. So I go and I find Kelly's dressing room and I, Hey man, what's going on? He's like, Oh, hey, hey, how you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just trying to figure out which pants to wear. I'm really, I'm really in the middle of it right now. I'm like, okay, all right, well, you know, that's cool. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Have a great show. But he, he's, I think what it is, is that kind of stuff that would, he was very intense and he was very super funny at the same time, but sometimes he was intense and I would, I would take it the wrong way. So now I know. And, and then I said, okay, well, to myself, I'm thinking, Look, it's his show. He's, I don't know what's going on. He's trying to figure out what pants to wear. Okay, I respect that. And I just said, all right, have a great show. And I left. And then we just bumped into each other once in a while. That's it. Mm, I, I, but, I think you've played with Jay in uh, Raiding the Rockfall, have you? Jay, yeah. Jay was in Raiding the Rockfall. And Jay's, Jay is a sweetheart. Always, I just really love him. He's a great dude and fantastic player. And, um, he was really fun to work with on that on that rock ball thing. I mean, he's just like his playing is so amazing. Uh, don't listen, dog. Easy. I'm gonna leave you go. Okay, Richie. All the best to you and the family. Stay safe and hope to see you. Yeah, some days, some day, dog. I'll, I'll actually meet you in person. <laughs> sounds, sounds good, bro. Yeah. All right, dog. Take care of yourself. All right. All, all the right. best, bro. All Thank right. you. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, Metalheads, there is everything you probably wanted to know about the classic Hurricane album, Slave to the Thrill. Yeah, very cool listening to Doug talk about the dynamics between him and the producer and what he was wanted to do, what the producer wanted to hear and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's stuff you actually, you know, you still encounter to this day in studios as you work with people. And uh, I can just imagine just kind of the aggravation that uh, that Doug had when he was doing all that. And I can remember, you know, years ago, too, when I was a hell of a lot younger and, and I thought that, uh, you know, I knew exactly what was sounding good as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the engineer would have to give me a dope slap. But I had nowhere near the talent that, uh, that Mr. Aldrich has. That is for damn sure. Anyways, hope you guys enjoyed this throwback episode of Focus on Metal. Always like to do these ones. And I can always depend on Richie to just remember all these anniversaries of these albums all the time. I don't know. I don't know how he does it, but he does, and it's pretty cool that he does, and I appreciate that he does. So hope you guys are enjoying the episodes. Thank you very much for listening. Not sure what is up for next week. Lots of things in the air at this point, but I haven't really pinned it down. A little bit too early to tell. So in the meantime, hey, you know what? I'll keep looking out for some bonus episodes from us as I try to fit those in on the weekends whenever it's uh, convenient and I can make it fit in my life. And other than that, make sure you guys are all keeping safe. Keep your family safe as well. So you're always uh, coming back here week after week, listening to Focus on Metal. And more importantly, when all of this shit tries to get by us and we get back to some semblance of the normalcy we had before, live music and all that good stuff. I want to make sure that everybody here that listens to Focus on Metal is still a vibrant and contributing factor to the whole entire metal community and ready and able to support and partake in killer live music, new releases, all that good stuff that goes along with being a metalhead once we get out of this COVID-19 shitstorm. So with that, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself and everybody else here at focus on metal have yourselves a great metal week and until we talk to you again next week 
remember. Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.